0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for a Bay Area news group, which is the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times. And I have edited and published the website, theweeklydriver.com, since 2004. My colleague and friend now for about a quarter century, I think, is Bruce Aldrich. He's across the table from us, and we're in Sacramento. And uh, my guest, our guest today, is Mark Glover. Mark and I crossed paths many years ago uh, in our respective careers at the Sacramento Bee. And Mark uh, also lives in Sacramento. And in a couple of weeks, he will be witnessing his 58th Indianapolis 500. And we've just determined that he will be taking his son again, and it will be his son's 30th. So quite a family legacy. So Mark, we had you on our podcast podcast four years ago or almost four years ago so welcome back it would be great to talk to you Uh
1: uh-huh looking forward to it great
0: mark um this is uh coming up we we noticed today that actually indy opened today i think it's a practice and uh i'm sure you're following it and when do you leave now for your 58th uh indy and, and what will be your itinerary
1: Uh, Wednesday the 25th. We're actually going a tiny bit earlier and staying a tiny bit longer, uh, which is a good thing because you never know about Hoosier weather, uh, which changes by the minute. And sometimes uh, the rainstorms will uh, cause lots of problems. But uh, yeah, leave on Wednesday uh, the 25th, I believe. And uh, then that following Sunday is the 106th running of the race. We uh, we've got a few restaurants we're going to stop at and uh, selfishly indulge ourselves. But what the heck, it's Indian. It's only once a year,
0: right? What is a specialty of Indianapolis in, in the in the uh, food world? What do you, ribs, chicken, barbecue? I think
1: I think there's a steakhouse like every fifty feet. Uh, <laughs> they, they have. I mean, they love steak and beef. Yes. I, I, if you go downtown, I, I really I don't think you can walk a, a, two blocks without running into a steakhouse. Is that? A, and, uh, can we assume yeah. that you like steak? Well, yeah, I I like steak to a degree, but uh, <laughs> I like to mix it up a little bit as well.
2: Sure, uh, I'll pass on the the red meat, but I, I sure would go for the car racing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's an electric atmosphere. It, it really the place kind of buzzes that whole week, and uh, I imagine the locals at some point, even though it's exciting and all that, they probably with all those people there and uh, at the end of the month, I think they let out a sigh of relief that, oh, we made it through yet another one.
2: Mark, what excites you about this year's race? What what, do you, what are a couple of things that, that jump out at you that you're curious to see or hear about?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, I'm i kind of chomping to the bit because I missed the last two. Well, of course, nobody could go in 2020. The crowd yes. was not allowed. And then last year, uh, you know, it was still... They didn't want you going through airports, and it was still shaky, and uh, I didn't go. So I am literally starving for uh, my Indy 500 fix. Uh, what What really intrigues me this year is the, the mix of veterans and young folks. Um, you have some very capable older drivers, multiple winners of the race, uh, names that are instantly recognizable in the field, and then you have a lot of kids that I would call kids at my age sure in their 20s uh you know it's possible I'd, i'll tell you what it is possible this time around that on uh, a sunday race day you could have a winner who's a young man that probably 98 percent of the sporting public has no idea who he is
2: yeah i would like to see a, an older man <laughs> yes. all of uh, elio castanevis <laughs> what is he like i don't know in his 40s well, of that's, i'd that's like to see story. him win a fifth huh
1: yeah that's the story of the month that's that's the one that you're going to hear over and over is the uh, the actual possibility that Elio Castroneves could win an unprecedented fifth Indy 500 and that would put him uh in rarefied air it would pass him above the other uh, four-time winners uh, who uh, were Al Unser, uh, Rick Mears and A.J. Foyt
0: the uh different era, different cars, different a lot of different things what if if that were to occur and he would Uh, just by number, sheer number, surpass those guys, how would you compare the kind of driver he is to to AJ or um, the Unzers or Rick Mears or whomever, Mario? How how does he compare with his skill set and his approach to racing?
1: If Elio wins the race, I guarantee you there will be within a at the approximate speed of nuclear fission, there will be an immediate debate over whether he's the best of all time. Yes. And and since he has five, I mean, who's to really, you know, argue against that? Um, from a historical perspective, and, and mine is, you know, maybe somewhat unique, having been to so many of them, I, I still think Foyt tops the list, and here's why. Uh, he won in two eras. He won in the Roadster area, uh, in, driving a front engine car, a four-cylinder Offenhauser. And then, of course, he won in the rear engine era. And he won in cars of his own making. And the other thing is that when he began in the roadster era, it was extremely dangerous, and yet he was the one at the top of the pack. It wasn't unusual back then for, during a given year in IndyCar racing, to have three, maybe even four named drivers, fatally injured, somehow during a race or a practice during the year and that was let's face it that was that was a very dangerous hard school which AJ came through succeeded in then they changed the cars to rear engine cars and he succeeded in that too so i i think i think that's the argument from the other side is somebody who won in two eras as opposed to someone who won five uh... indycar indy 500s. but you know you could you could argue that forever and ever.
0: Sure, why not argue it? It's fun at the be- <laughs> over a beer or two, or a steak, or whatever you want to do. It's a good argument to have. I think it's.
1: It's just like basketball fans are going to say LeBron or Michael, and on and on it goes. It sure. Is, it will never be resolved, but it will always there will always be plenty of beer around.
0: Sure.
2: So the field is full of uh, youngsters and and the old dogs. Um, how many cars do will, do you think they'll fill the field? The thirty three. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think they will, boy. I talk about sounding old and dating myself. I long for those good old days when they had like you know eighty, ninety, a hundred entries. Yeah, now it's typical. Uh, they maybe have you know thirty-four to fill a thirty-three card field. Typically, because is so popular, uh, and and you get more bang for your buck. Uh, there are sponsors out there hanging around in case something happens. And uh, even this week, you could see last-second deals signed, and the driver you didn't think was going to be in the race ends up being in the race.
2: Absolutely. I think if you're a big-money person or corporation, you had to say that you had a car in the Indianapolis 500, that's that's bragging rights.
1: It's bragging rights, and it's TV time. And your name on TV yep. in front of millions and millions of folks. And uh, it's a pretty good deal for them. Uh, obviously, for the other races during the year, they're not going to get that kind of exposure. But at Indy, you... You get a pretty good shot.
0: One of the uh, speaking of exposure, one of the traditions through the years is the pace car and um, a couple of different avenues. What do you think about the pace car tradition? If you have a strong opinion, and this year it's Sarah Fisher and she had a long career in Indy. I she not doesn't readily come to mind. You mentioned the average person probably wouldn't know not like her. Like Danica, not like Danica, who you know got right. a lot of spotlight. What are your thoughts yeah. on Sarah, number one, and, and what are your thoughts of, of seeing a, the pace car situation for six decades?
1: Well, the, uh, you can win a few bar bets with the idea of who's the fastest woman ever at Indy. It's not Danica. it's Sarah. Sarah, I believe, turned in a qualifying speed in excess of 229 yes. back in the day. Still the fastest woman ever at the Speedway, so uh, that'll win a few bar bets. And then, of course, she turned uh, turned all that around and went into business and uh, and nurtured some incredible drivers, including uh, two-time IndyCar Series champion Joseph Newgarden. Yes. Uh, so quite a remarkable woman, uh, and I was happy to see her get this uh, honorary gig because she's the regular pace car driver for the Series. But this, this part is special. that She gets the uh, attention that I think she deserves because she's an extraordinary woman. Um, what we used to call the pace car um, <clears throat> mystery <laughs> or or challenge or anticipation is not quite what it used to be. Now it's almost always a Corvette or a Camaro uh, because of uh, Chevy's involvement in the series. It used to be wide open, and it was fought over like by the automakers in the United States, like cats and dogs. Yes. Uh, oh, we want to have, have our car be a... Be the pace start, oh the exposure, the, the money, the all of it. And you used to have, you know, I mean, not just one automaker, but you'd have a dozen automakers vying for that honor. I remember in 1964, allegedly that was the 1964 and a half Mustang at the head of the field. Although I'm sure... I've had Ford Motor, Motor Company people say, there is no such thing as 1964 and a 1964 Mustang. It was all nineteen sixty five. Right. But, you know, if it wasn't auto industry, we wouldn't have anything to argue about. So, you know. But it used to be quite competitive. Now it's kind of, it's going to be a Chevy or a Camaro. So it's not quite as, uh, as prestigious as it used to be.
2: Yes. Uh, for people who don't know, it's a Z06 2023 Vette. So be a nice car. That'll be able to stay yeah, think, up stay up with them? <laughs> mm.
1: I think that will probably be just fine. They, You know, they used to have to fine-tune some of the big sedans that were chosen as the pace car. I think that one right off the factory floor has enough juice to uh, think stay so. up ahead of the field.
0: <laughs> Mark, through the 57 and now 58 years, was there... Uh, sometimes people mention this kind of thing in James Bond movies that there was you know, a manufacturer snuck in for one film. You know, might have been a Fiat or something. Has there been some unusual manufacturers who have been the pace car in Indy that, that come to mind that uh, was one-time and out?
1: I think Cord was in there as a one time. Oh, great. Uh, you had the old Chrysler Noob if you remember that, back in the 40s with the big swoopy design and what amounted to, uh, uh, like, almost a seat in the trunk. Yes. <laughs> uh and uh and there were some prototypes you know that ended up being production models in the 1991 race they had uh Carroll Shelby the world famous manufacturer and racer uh he was in a prototype of viper wow and uh, i think that was i don't i don't think there were 3 vipers in the world at that point <laughs> but funny. uh but he was in that one and so it it used to be uh, quite the I mean, it was like a launch pad for an advertising campaign. If your car was chosen uh, to be the pace car, in fact, to to talk about the multi-generational aspect of this, I was growing up in Dayton, Ohio, which is only 99 miles away from Indy. My father, who was in the newspaper business and a racing nut, of course, he'd go over every December uh, to go to the pace car unveiling. And it was a big deal. Like, you know, we're unveiling, you know, like the Detroit Auto Show, uh, and p- literally dozens of writers and photographers, and it was really just quite the, a gala event. That's how big a deal it was.
2: That's great. Good Spe- stories. Yeah, speaking of uh, um, the pace car, it was back in the 60s. One of the, uh, the uh, pace cars uh, was driven improperly and anyway, but hit a bunch of people. That was a convertible of some kind? <laughs> Do you recall that incident?
1: It was a Dodge, and oh, okay. it was, uh, 19, I think it was 1971. Uh, it was a Dodge convertible driven by one Eldon Palmer. Uh, he was a, a local car dealer in Indianapolis. So he's in that car at the wheel with Tony Holman and, and Chris Schenkel of ABC Sports, if you remember that name. I'm sure, yes. I do. And uh, Eldon made the mistake, okay, you, back then you drove the car off, well, pretty much like now. And, okay, there's a chance they won't give him the green flag, right? So the race car is supposed to continue down the pit lane. Eldon sort of froze with the accelerator to the floor. So he, I actually remember our, seat, our seats were literally right at the start-finish line. I remember the car going past at such a speed that I took my eyes off the race cars. I thought, my God, he's going fast. and. Sure enough, he froze, and he smashed the brake at the end of the pit lane, and he smashed into the photographer's stand. Wow, man. Oh, and boy. One, one photographer, who I believe was from Chile, uh, was fairly seriously injured. Thank God Tony Holman survived. That would have been a horrible story, that the owner of the track is killed in the pace car by a, a rogue Dodge <laughs> dealer no who couldn't kidding. take his foot off the accelerator.
0: Gosh. Mark, um, uh, two things to just interject. You're uh, like me. You're still writing an auto column, and I wanted to mention that I, I, you know, visit your site all the time. And how long has that been now that you've uh, been reviewing automobiles? Just away from Indy for for a quick minute.
1: I've been <laughs> I've been reviewing automobiles in some form probably since I don't know what in the 1980s, but. Formally, if you will, uh, if, you, if you remember, of course, Bruce Grant was the longtime auto editor of the Sacramento Bee. Yes, and he—I I figured, you know, Bruce is going to be there for the next 60 years. <laughs> I figured right. he was going li- to—he was going to live forever. Uh, but Bruce finally retired, and that was in 2000. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's when it really ramped up to the point where the people who provide the cars from the Bay Area said, "Okay, well, it's not Bruce anymore. It's going to be Mark." And I can literally remember the fall day Bruce drove up. With a, I want to say it was a Ford Escape, back in 2000. Yes. And kind of sadly handed it over to me. It was very bittersweet. Yes. But that's when it sort of hit full stride.
0: Uh huh. And so now your site is auto, uh, auto glow, auto go. I'm sorry, I'm blank. Auto Oh, auto glow. A-U-T-O-G-L-O,
1: autoglow.blogspot.com. That's
0: right. Sometimes you as a you get a review car the week after or the week before or they within some within a few weeks of the car. That I get, and there's a few of us still in, in the Sacramento area Jeff Wydell, myself, you. Um, I don't know who else is involved, but a few uh, names I should know. But there's a few of us here in Sacramento who, who review cars, and it's, uh, it's great to see everybody else's reviews from time to time.
1: It is. It really is. In fact, SB uh, with Page One was up front today delivering Ioniq 5, the Ionic 5. Oh, boy. Car. Yes. And I mentioned, he said, I, I said, I got to go. I got to go talk to James Ray. And he said, oh, yeah, tell James 5 for me. <laughs> that's so, right. Yeah, he's a nice that, guy. It is that small club, yeah. yeah it, I, it's funny because you do see each other's reviews and, and you kind of pick and choose. Like, gee, you know, I, he, he sort of felt that way about that. I didn't feel that way about that. <laughs> well,
0: that's the beauty of it, I yeah, guess, right? Yeah. Um, One's fun, th- yeah, it really is. It's a it's a fun fun gig. Um, one thing I mentioned to you the other yesterday when I called and we had a, a brief conversation is, I had a chance to go back to IndyCar car racing after I don't know thirty years, to, and I went to the event, uh, the Monterey Grand Prix last fall in uh, Laguna Seca, mm-hmm. Auto yeah. Tech uh, Raceway. And I was blown away by getting a chance to meet some of the young drivers, including Colton Herta, and having been around other sports where some of the athletes um, not so uh, nicely have difficulties getting out a complete sentence, uh, put it that way, that these young guys, I was just totally, completely impressed by the way that they articulate, how bright and how comfortable that they are around people not that i get to make that decision for anybody but in my experience it was just delightful to talk to some of these young guys and i think that you feel the same way could you enlighten us on some of the guys you've spoken with over the years the young fellas
1: yeah you know and colton's right up there with the best uh he's of course second generation driver driving for his dad brian who i saw race all those years ago um, there's a few Alex Polo, who actually won the series last year. Is an exceptionally well-spoken driver. Uh, Felix Rosenquist of Sweden uh, and Young Pato Award with uh, with the Mexican background. These are all very talented folks. And you're right; they all speak well. In fact, I don't think you can engineer somebody as well-rounded as these guys are. It, it, it really it does kind of blow me away because I think about gosh, when I was his age, I could. You know, barely take the groceries out. Uh, <laughs> and now here they are strapped to a bullet and getting out, and their heart beats, you know, 60 beats a minute, and they're talking like they're uh, professors. It's just amazing. It is amazing. It really is. Colton, by the way, if you saw the Indy Grand Prix last weekend, um, he's one of, I think he might have the fastest hands I've seen since uh, Juan Pablo Montoya came into the series. Uh, he uh, Colton won on a, a wet track yes. on the road course at Indy. And if you watched his hands at the wheel on on the slick surfaces, it was like a blur. It was like they had, uh, I don't know, a cyborg in there. I thought, nobody's that fast. And at one point, he even blew the announcers away by going into a full 100 yard drift in an Indy car, which was supposed to be impossible.
2: Wow. But he did it. I yeah. did see some of that race, and you're right, because they, they had a lot of good in car uh, camera yeah. work. And. Uh, yeah. I, I'm trying to watch to see what they're doing and, and trying to see, look at RPMs and you know whatever you, what little I can see on the dash, and I can't even keep up with it. And they're they're looking at t- twice the data,
1: all that on the dash. Yeah, yep. and, and then driving. Wheel. Yeah, and driving. <laughs> yeah, all that.
2: Speaking of uh, good drivers, at least from the NASCAR uh, side, uh, what is he like? The a six-time champion, uh, Jimmy Johnson. I believe he's yeah, got a race this year. What are you, what are his chances? Seven-time
1: NASCAR champ and I'm very nervous for Jimmy. Um in fact I I you know I, I salute his determination to get into an IndyCar and and you know he wanted to experience that and live it. He stuck with it even though he's been kind of a backmarker. I'm very nervous for um his maiden Two hundred and forty mile an hour trips around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He's also got a broken bone in one hand, um, which can't be helpful. Uh, I'm nervous for him, but I also know he drove ovals for years and years and would seem to have command of them.
2: I saw that he's won uh, in in the NASCAR. He's won at uh, Indy four times, I think.
1: Yeah, I was there for for I think all those. But, yeah, I mean, in an, he
2: knows in the track. Car.
1: <laughs> oh yeah it's the thing I mean uh, you see, I remember uh, I want to say it was Kurt Busch a few years back he came in oh Kurt Busch so what he's the NASCAR guy and he finished 6th and he, he was fighting at the end you know for 5th and 4th so I mean and Let's face it, Jimmy Johnson, in terms of his record in NASCAR, is way above where Kurt Busch has been. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, if Jimmy can get the rhythm of the oval, and you know, the idea that you are going to come close to the wall at two hundred and twenty-five miles an hour, and he adjusts to that, I'm yeah. Why not? Why not? He's got the oval experience.
2: Do they have something that uh, slows him down at this track, since it's so the straightaways are so long? Do you know they have a different aero package or whatnot?
1: Well, obviously, if you look at the cars that they run on the road course versus the cars they run at Indianapolis, the wings are way smaller. Um, so there's there's a little less drag. They don't need quite as much wing, and yet they get the, the good downforce because the speed's so high. Um, I, I used to talk uh, with some of the drivers about how they would drive it, and there's, there was different ways that drivers drive the track. Uh, Mirrors, uh, Rick Mears, the four-time winner from Bakersfield, always talked about how once he got through one, he didn't really need to do anything on the accelerator because I guess the natural process of going through that hard left-hand turn, he said it always scrubs enough speed off so you can stay on it all the way through turn two. And uh, I've talked to other drivers who said, you know, I'm braking halfway, almost halfway down the back stretch, so I can blast through turn three and four without having to lift. And I'm like, you mean you're braking like mid, <laughs> mid straight straightaway? I mean, to, and it's still, you know, you still have the speed to get. you he says, well, you make up for it in the turn. So it's interesting. Different drivers have uh, have different ways of driving it. Uh, and you talk about guys who can consider themselves fingertip drivers and guys who consider themselves palm drivers about how they hold the steering wheel. So it's it's not just, you know, sitting down and driving. They they all have their tricks and trade.
0: Mark, I'm just going to throw this out to you. I think that your book about your experience in Indy should be called Hands on the Wheels, and you should write a book uh, if you haven't. I'm sorry if I didn't know about it, but, oh my gosh, my friend, you have so much knowledge. Why aren't you writing books? <laughs>
1: but, I'm gonna. You've been talking to my wife, obviously. i, <laughs> I I've been dizzy, but <clears throat> pardon me. Um, I should do that. You're right, and it's it's a matter of hooking up with the right people. And I might bend your ear about that at some point because uh, you uh, you you. I think you've been way more diverse uh, than I have in terms of your experiences.
0: Yeah, I keep my head above water some somehow. You know, it's it's. <laughs> um, but um, I want to go back to uh, to the relationship that's pretty prevalent in, in auto racing, fathers and sons, and and even now, uh, you know, grandfathers and grandsons. But in the case of uh, Colton Herta, again, uh, with his father in his ear during races, and, and I was really interested in that. Um, most of us have had an older brother or a father, you know, coach us at some level, and and this is the highest level there is, and I asked him about that. I said, you know, try to make light of it, and he, and he took it in stride. I said, you know, you're in the car, and there's your dad ever say, hey, by the way, when we left the house this morning, you didn't take the garbage out. And, he, you know, he laughed at that, and he said, well, I wasn't very comfortable with my dad um, as in the pits and telling me, you know, instructions and what's going on in the track. He said, but we've, we've learned, and we're really a good father-son combination, what, mm-hmm. what do you think that that's an advantage to to the Herta family? And have there been others with that similar situation that you're aware of?
1: Yeah, uh, to some degree, the Andretti's uh, went through that, and uh, Michael with Marco, of course, uh, and they didn't have near the level of success that the Hertas are having. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I I think it, it's a two way. Uh, I, I mean, two extremes. I think it can go awry. I, and in fact, if you're a father. Um, and I've talked to fathers who have sons in high-speed racing. Uh, the biggest thing they have to get over is the fear, uh, you know, that they could just be at the venue where something bad happens. They yes. see their, their son terribly hurt or worse. And um, I think if they once they get over that, if they can get over that, uh, then the relationship works well because, obviously, in Brian Hurd's case uh, – I'm not sure there's anything that happens in any car hit that he hasn't experienced tenfold. Yes. So I think they're fortunate the hurt is. And I think Colton also's kind of his personality off out of the race car is laid back enough that he's you know, he can go to his dad and say, Dad, that one thing you were doing during the race knock that off <laughs> don't, don't, True. don't yeah. do that anymore <laughs> but the other stuff is great and I, I think they have the kind of relationship that the the dad then says yeah i got gotcha. you
0: yeah, yeah I, I um i was impressed by his his complete calmness and i thought maybe i don't know if he's a motor um, motor racer or if he's a surfer on a southern california beach somewhere because he was so laid back out of the car i wonder what his his resting rate must be in the low 30s he was just cool as can be
1: yeah, in fact, if you were introducing him to somebody and they and they had no idea who he is, Surfer probably would have been their first guest.
0: Yeah, yeah. Surfer dude. Surfer okay. dude. Um, <laughs> I, I follow up it's a different area, uh, no transition here, but I was listening to our interview with you from uh, 2018, and you, I related a story that I was very naive, and I asked race car drivers if they considered what they did a sport, and I wanted to... Uh, reiterate the saying that you told us, and I wanted to find out where it came from. I mean, you said that um, some people say there's only three sports. It's mountaineering, bullfighting, and motor racing. Where did that come from? And and uh, I'm, I think you probably agree with it.
1: I think that uh, originally came from Hemingway. I, saw how the, I stole Hemingway. <laughs> you stole Hemingway. You're too
0: honest, yeah. man. You're too honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you know, it obviously... Uh, I get that a lot. I think I'm, I may have told you the same thing if, uh, back in 2018, but I, I, I do get people who say, hey, well, you're just sitting down and driving. That's not a sport, not like a football or crashing into each other. Or basketball yes. With their skill. I say, well, look, here's what I want you to do. <clears throat> I want you to go home. And the next time it's 98 degrees plus out, I want you to go in the backyard in full uh, underwear and full, uh, full dress. Okay. Long sleeves and long underwear and go out there and sit in a, a chair um, on the ground and keep in mind you can't move from that chair for three hours and then i want you to get a couple of uh... five ten pound weights and hold them out in front of you and keep them moving for the next three hours while you're sitting in that chair It's ninety eight degrees and you're in your long underwear Yes. And then after three hours, you can come in, and then I'll tell you that uh, that was great, and you survived all that, but now imagine doing it at 240 miles an hour within inches of equally competitive drivers. And they'll tell me it's not a sport.
0: Gotcha. hmm so, Great. <laughs> and <laughs> great. They,
1: usually, they usually solve it. They, they're like, okay, I surrender.
2: <laughs> well, let alone G-forces and the bumps and everything else.
1: That's really, there's two things that TV can't really convey um as well as being there and the, the first is the speed uh i even the even the ground level shots um, I, i've taken people to the track and say hey let's go down sit on a like a practice day let's go sit down next to the wall <laughs> and and they sit down there and the first time the car comes by at 2:30 or whatever they, they're usually under the seat they're usually my god are you kidding me I can't believe how fast they're going. And then I'm like, well imagine thirty three of them out there within inches of each other. But the other thing is that really you can't see and the in car helps but um is the violence going on inside the cockpit. Uh they're being buffeted, they are being they're absorbing enormous G forces. uh... And they have people in their ear. And it, I mean, literally, their helmet might not be fastened on tight enough, and on and on and on. But the violence that goes in on in those cockpits is substantial. I've talked to drivers, I've seen drivers get out, and they look like they've been in a boxing match and taken body shot after body shot.
2: Very good analogy. Mark, what do you think of? Uh, tell us, take us through the uh, start. Um, the cars are coming off, they're all lined up behind the pace car on the. Coming around turn four, the pace car peels off. You see the flag stand. How are you feeling about that at that point? What's it like? Uh,
1: you, you set me up. You're talking my language. <laughs> I, t- I tell people, I think, for me, it's the most, it's the pinnacle. It's the most exciting moment in sports. And they said, well, well, how can you say that, given everything else in sports, the Super Bowl and, and on and on? And I said, well, first of all, it is a moment. Okay? It's not an it's not a prolonged hour long thing or even minutes long. It's that initial start of everybody going full on, uh everybody's adrenaline is is squirting out their ears. And I used to say, especially when the sport was more dangerous than it is now, that what makes it the most exciting moment in sports is not only the spectacle of that happening and those cars going those detail at that speed, but it's at the same time you're simultaneously terrified. You're scared something could go wrong. So there's that mixture of fear and excitement and adrenaline condensed into that. Let's face it, that one run down the straightaway, and I to me that makes it the greatest moment in sports. A yeah,
2: lot of it. Hard to argue.
0: Huh? <laughs> Everybody in the stands. Yeah, so, Every, oh my gosh.
2: Obviously the drivers. Yep. Yeah. The yeah.
0: the um. My interest, of course, a little bit is is journalistically and um where it's a little bit away from the racing but having gone to some sporting events um in northern california the at&t uh pebble beach uh golf tournament's coming up on 40 years for me certainly not 58 in indy for you but on that side of it how is the how is the media is that does the event still get a large international contingent of journalists and and is there a story that maybe when you were still dictating articles or you know telling somebody on the telephone, and and I know it's probably not at the feverish pitch that you once did it, but how has that changed over the years for you?
1: That has changed. Uh, you know, they built a when they built the pagoda, the the current giant pagoda a few years back, about a generation back. They also built uh, with Formula One coming in at that time a state of the art uh, media center. Uh, before that. You kind of were in this hanging press box down the outside of the front straightaway, and that's when it was old school. I remember sitting there, and uh, Wayne Fuson of the the old sports editor of the Indianapolis Star was there. Uh, this is like nineteen, I don't know, nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. And he's up there, and he's huddled in a coat. and He's got a pencil in his hand and a oh, reporter's boy. notebook. He's scribbling these notes. And but now I think about it, you know, you sit there and and you're in this kind of air-conditioned enclosed room and there's there's big television screens all over the place that are feeding you data digitally and paper every five seconds yeah i i, I i'm gonna confess i i kind of miss the old days and the and the idea that you could sort of just sit out there almost like a fan and with your notebook and watch the laps reel off sure but let's face it uh now it's it's become a, a, a multimedia extravaganza, and yeah, it does still get that. This particular race still gets significant overseas attention, especially a couple of years back when somebody like Fernando Alonso came over, Sure. Formula One champ from Spain.
2: I saw that I was on the website, and I saw that they uh, are still selling tickets, so people could get out there for for the end of May to watch it.
1: Yeah and that's that to me is a little bit alarming. I, I don't know if that's sort of a covid residue because it used to be believe it or not 2 weeks after the running of the race it was sold out for the following year. Uh and the speedway's always kind of pressed that uh, with us uh a uh, long time ticket holders that so you got 2 weeks to re up or we might or we'll give your tickets away mm. we will put your tickets up for uh for auction. Um So the fact that they're still selling tickets uh, tells me there might be a little bit of still a little bit of COVID uh, residue there of of concern.
0: Great. Hey, Mark, we could uh, we could uh, take we're taking advantage of your time, but it's we could spend the rest of the day. (laughs) I'm just fascinated by your long knowledge of the sport. You know, one as a reporter and two, just as a guy who's seen an awful lot, a fan or no fan. These are iconic people and what they do is is great the young guys coming through and it'll be really it be a good weekend so thank you again for being our guest on the weekly driver podcast appreciate the second time around and in gaining more knowledge of your long history in indy so thank you sir very much
1: thank you both so much it's always a pleasure to talk uh, motorsports with folks uh, who with who know it, and uh, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with me.
0: Thank you, Mark. Take care. Cheers, man. Bye-bye.